Fanfic Writers Craft is a podcast that discusses all things fanfiction with a focus on the art and science of writing for the enjoyment of fan communities. My name is Joe, aka Pebbly Sand, and I'll be your host for the next hour or so. My co-host, Lani, writes online under the name Copper Dust. You'll meet her shortly. In today's episode, we discuss point of view, a topic that was requested by one of our listeners, Taranga 4. We explore the different types of point of view that exist in narration, the choices we make in deciding to tell stories from a particular perspective, and debate the dreaded concept of head-hopping. We also touch on the sensitive subject of second-person narration, and question whether reliable narrators really even exist. We hope you enjoyed this episode, but for now, buckle up, get yourself a nice cup of tea, and welcome to the Fanfic Writers Craft. Hello and welcome to the Fanfic Writers Craft. This is Joe. I hope you're all doing well. I'm finally here with Lani today. The both of us are officially back in action. How are you? What's been up? It's been a while. I'm much better than the last time our listeners would have heard me because we last recorded together as a team back in July and I was really sick then and we did two episodes on the same day. So I'm definitely way better um, I've just got back from vacation. It's not unbearably humid out anymore, so I'm I'm good. Yeah. Did you write or read anything during your vacation? Um, I read and wrote an embarrassingly large amount, actually. That's great. Um, so most of the writing I've done, like none of it's published yet because I'm, I'm still in the process of typing it onto my computer from where I had put it into my phone. And the reading, I read a ton. I read a ton of fix actually because i've been sort of going into a new fandom where there's all this like virgin territory (laughs) (laughs) so mainly i was reading stuff that is um ancient greece related so relating to like the iliad the odyssey and um the alexander trilogy by mary renat which is uh his sort of historical fiction about the life of alexander the great that's so cool that's that sounds really that sounds really nice i've been i've not read written anything which was kind of the goal in fairness i was i wanted to take some time off writing uh but i did read a lot which was nice which was very very nice and i very much enjoyed it um so today we are going to record an episode on point of view so we're going to be talking about all of the topics regarding you know how to tell a story how to narrate a story and the point of view that a story has taken in terms of narrative voice and all that that episode was suggested to us by one of our least listeners uh taranga for who very kindly sent us a whole bunch of questions so we're gonna get to those questions and try answering them the best we can so in terms of point of view what we understand by point of view is the eye or the sort of narrative voice that a story has and a way the story is told. There's two ways of looking at it. There's, first of all, who is telling the story? Are they, you know, a character within the story? Are they someone who's outside the story looking in? And also the actual grammatical, technical point of view that you are taking. So are you telling the story first person, third person, second person? There's a lot of different ways that you can tell a story and a lot of different points of views that you can take. Usually stories are told between first person and third person. That would be, I guess, the majority. And especially within first person, third person, there is a little bit of a split between 
third person limited, which is you're telling the story through a third person point of view, but within that person's limited perspective versus third person omniscient, which is kind of like a godlike person uh, telling the story. I think a lot of people, first of all, have a hard time telling these last two apart. So I was wondering, Manny, what are your thoughts on point of view just generally and what do you take from it? Um, yeah, so point of view is one of the sort of basic concepts of narrative writing that you would start to learn even in elementary school. And um, for me as a teacher, I know that we start teaching point of view around grade four. Um, and we uh, usually do it by teaching fractured fairy tales, which is basically a traditional fairy tale like the Three Little Pigs or Cinderella. But then you would take tell it from the perspective of somebody who in the story was traditionally the evil character. And then, of course, when you tell it from that fresh perspective, it's going to sound like a very different story. Uh, fast forwarding way in life up until now when you're an adult writing fan fiction, I think it's one of those things where people will start writing in a point of view without necessarily even making an active choice. I think a lot of people are character first, so they know they're taking that character's point of view. I, I do want to point out that the, the most traditional are obviously third person limited and um, first person, which is more common in, I think, certain genres like uh, children's fiction, chiclet, and fan fiction are probably the ones where first person is most common. Although you will find some like really old, like 17th, 18th, mm. 19th century novels that are written in first person, actually. So I shouldn't necessarily say that. I've also seen some really uncommon perspectives, very rare. Um, there's a book called Then We Came to the End by Joshua Ferris, and it's actually told in first person plural. So it's told like, we did this, we did that. It's because it's told from the perspective of, of people who work in an office that's gradually going out of business and everybody's getting laid Ooh. off. It's all sort of told by like almost like a Greek chorus where it's not from the perspective of one of them, but all of them. So that that's a very rare and difficult perspective to write. Certainly, you would not see it very often. Um, so I just wanted to mention about omniscience. So when, when Joe said that um, third-person omniscient is like from God's perspective, um, I think she means that um, basically you can see into the thoughts and inter internal thoughts and opinions of any character in any scene, um, and, and the narrator could have knowledge of anything that happened to anyone rather than only having knowledge of the thoughts and opinions and memories of one individual in the story. Not that you're literally standing on like, reciting the Ten Commandments. Yeah, no, definitely. And that's, I think the, the godlike perspective is how a lot of people define that point of view, because it's very much being able to see everything and know everything. And I think that's how we, a lot of mythology and a lot of religions kind of see God. So I think a lot of people use that kind of image to explain kind of what an omniscient kind of perspective is. Um, so moving on to our first question that we got uh, from our lovely listener is how do you choose what perspective to narrate from? So if you're going to tell a story, you, you've decided on the story that you're going to tell, what, what makes you adopt a particular perspective and a particular narrative and narrative voice? I think it matters in general what kind of story you want to tell and what's important. 
So for certain kinds of stories, I think it really only makes sense to have a limited perspective, whether it's first or third person. So for example, I think if you were telling like an adolescent coming of age where a lot of the key themes are about the sort of confusion and what goes in your mind in an adolescent as you're obsessive and you're self-centered, um, that those kind of themes work when you have a limited perspective because you're necessarily trying to reflect on that time of life when as a kid, your perspective on the world is very limited and there is a lot that you don't understand. Um, whereas if you're telling kind of like an epic multi-generational or multi-century saga, I think it only makes sense to tell maybe you can switch perspectives from one chapter to another or just third person omniscient. So I'm thinking of, for example, there's a book called The Years of Rice and Salt by uh, Kim Stanley Robinson. And it's set over the course of hundreds of years. It involves many, many reincarnations. So it really only makes sense for that to be told from multiple perspectives. Uh, because otherwise, you would have a character die. And then that's, that's the end of the story. Um, and then I think sometimes, to me, I think of it as like, sometimes you have a limited number of perspectives you'll, you'll uh, consider, but then you're drawing the line there. So I think of it as like a, a duet tile, um, type of story. So for example, if you have two main characters and you maybe switch back and forth between their perspectives in different chapters or sections, or maybe you're omniscient for those two, but then you don't get to see into anyone else's mind, that can make sense if there's a reason that those two are the most important. Like for example, in a romance, you might want only the perspectives and thoughts of the two principal people in the romance. So again, I think it's about purpose and, and what are you trying to achieve with that story? Yeah, 100%. And I think another thing that you have to consider, if you're going to tell a story from two different perspectives, is what does each perspective bring to the story? Because a lot of the time, I think a lot of writers, especially beginners writer, beginner writers, get confused as to wanting to share everything all the time. And I think you need to really think about, especially if you're going to do two different perspectives, you really need to think about what each character's perspective and what each narrative perspective is going to bring to the story and, and move it forward. How, how is that going to move your, either your plot or your characterization or, you know, just the story kind of moving forward? I think for me, the way I choose perspective is very, <laughs> just kind of, it just feels very natural for most of the stuff that I write because I write, again, very character sort of centric stories and 99.9% .9 of the time it, it just makes sense to kind of tell the story from that character's perspective, especially writing things like, you know, the Seamus fic or the Fleur fic where I am trying to, I don't want to say rehabilitate because that's not really what I'm trying to do but kind of you know bring a secondary character forward and so if I want to do that if I want to write about them most of the time it's very natural for me to adopt that character's perspective but I do think it's happened to me sometimes that there are certain characters that are more interesting from the point of view of someone else and that was definitely the case when I was writing fic for The Good Wife where I almost exclusively if not exclusively wrote from the the point of view of Will Gartner who was a character in The Good Wife versus 
and in his relationship with Alicia, who was another character, because I felt like Alicia was someone who was very interested, interesting in like being observed from afar. And in the show, you never really know what she's thinking. You never really know what she's feeling. And I find that I, I always found that dynamic very interesting. And so I always wanted to write from his perspective because even though I was very much interested in hers, I thought that it was like, more, you could have more mystery if I didn't reveal everything that she was thinking and if she kind of remained this unknowable kind of point of view that you were never really sure what she wanted and what she was feeling. So I think for me personally, uh, that's also something that I really consider is, you know, from what, from whose perspective is the character that I'm interested in going to be the most interesting and the most, I think, POV is also one of the ways that you bring mystery to a story in certain ways. And I think that's a very, that's a very interesting thing to think about as well. Yeah. So I, I definitely want to, um, piggyback on that to, to say that, um, there really is a difference between a protagonist and a focal character. So in most books or stories of any kind, it could be TV or movies or a play, the protagonist or, or the, point of view character is the most sort of rich and important character in the story. But in some, the protagonist is merely somebody with a close relationship to the most important character in the story, who's the the character you're most interested in, the richest, the deepest, and that would be the focal character. Um, Mm -hmm. So one really obvious example is that when you read To Kill a Mockingbird, Scout is the narrator, but Atticus Finch is really kind of the most important and interesting character in the story. So um, he's the focal character, but he's not the main character. Um, another example yeah. of that is in the book, A Separate Piece, which many people had to read for high school English. Um, uh, Phineas is the most important and interesting character, but we don't hear it from his perspective because part of what makes the story interesting is that the main character is kind of has a complex relationship with him. And in many ways, we don't really understand what his thoughts are on the inside because he seems like such a remarkable and rare kind of person. And I think that's, that's something I'm playing with a little bit in my story, Merry Men, where, um, we never, we never get the POV, um, of, of Potter, who's kind of very much a focal character, but not a protagonist. And so what's, what's going on in his inner world? Like we can only speculate and, and even though he's like, clearly one of the most sort of interesting and and central characters in the story. And I, I would say that like, when you think about do I want my most interesting character to be the narrator or just the focal character, I would say, how much do you want to see of their own internal thought process? Because when you don't so show someone's internal thought process, they're a little bit more mysterious. And maybe that's what you want. Mm-hmm. But other times, their internal thought process is like, incredibly interesting. So for example, when you read Lolita, um, we know Humbert Humbert is an unreliable narrator, but we see his internal thoughts and the way he perceives the world. And it's interesting because, you know, he's dastardly, he's awful, but he's also, he's witty, he's charming, he's kind of a psychopath. And so, you know, that would be a very different book if it wasn't told from his perspective, because we would have no sympathy with him whatsoever. Whereas, because it's from his perspective, mm-hmm. we find ourselves developing sympathy for somebody who we know is an awful person. 
Yeah, 100%. And I think it really depends, as you said, what what you want to focus on as well. And I think that kind of this kind of leads into the second question that um, our listeners sent us, which is how does the voice and the vocabulary of the narrator kind of impact the narration in the start because you know obviously if you're telling the story from the perspective from the point of view of a, the fi- a five-year-old child is not you're not going to write the same way as you're going to write from the point of view of say someone who's you know nearing the end of their life and so um so I was wondering if you had any thoughts about that yeah I definitely think that you need to consider the style and tone you're taking your word choice your outlook on the world when you're adopting a certain perspective. I really differentiate between like a third person limited and first person because when you write in the first person, everything you say has to make sense that it would come straight from the mind of your protagonist. Whereas in third person limited, it's a little bit more complex because in some way, you, the the person who is actually making up the story, you were the narrator, but you should be drawing attention to aspects of, of the world as your main character would would perceive or interpret them. So for me, I usually would only write directly in first person if my main care, if that, if that character was somebody who I believe would communicate in a way that's kind of, I'm okay with communicating in that way too. So I would want somebody who's a little bit more articulate, a little bit more of a storyteller themselves. So for example, um, I had recently written a story where uh, the main character is Odysseus, who you would know from the Odyssey and the Iliad. And um, at first, I had written like a full page before I realized that I was writing in first person, because normally I write in third. And I was a little bit like, what's going on here? Because in previously, I thought, well, I write in first person when I identify with the main mm-hmm. character more strongly. But I was like, do I really identify with this guy? Because if you know him, he's a thief and a pirate and a liar and a manipulator, and a con artist. But then I realized that like what was really going on was was two things. The first is that he's known as a character for being very articulate and well-spoken, and he could really convince anyone to do anything because he speaks in such a convincing way. And he's, he's a really good liar, which makes him kind of a storyteller, right? Which, which you know, makes first person, it, it makes a little bit more sense for him. Because if I'm using like an elaborate metaphor or simile, mm-hmm. I know that's something that he could use too. Uh, the second thing is that his internal thought process was interesting to hear from the inside in a way that, you know, some other characters, their behavior is more interesting. Whereas for him, so much is going on underneath the surface of his actions that it was necessary to hear his thoughts from the inside. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, I think it's beyond vocabulary or, you know, kind of the, the ability of the person to be articulate or not, or, you know, that kind of thing. I think what affects my narration as well is just the kind of person that the narrator is and what the kind of thoughts that they might have or the kind of way, the way that they're going to see the world. So I think that to me is a very important thing. And, also the kind of things that they would know or not know. Like for instance, I remember when I wrote the Fault and Fault Manufacturing, there is a point where Dean, who is per the Fault and Fault, like in the world of that fic, is very much of an artist. He 
kind of takes Seamus around to museums in London and kind of shows him around and explains to him what the works are and like what the history is and all that stuff. And from then on, Seamus is able, like Seamus's voice changes and he's able to make references to these things as well because in the narrative, because the, the fic is told from his point of view, before that moment, he didn't really know anything about art. But after that happens, he's able to kind of reference whatever Dean has taught him. So I think that's also important to see, to kind of include in the narration what the character knows or doesn't know and and what they're able to see or not see. And I think, obviously, that fic for me was very easy to write because it was, you know, it was told from the point of view of an Irish character who also lives in England for a really long time. So that's kind of my brand brand of English as well. Uh, you know, so that's that was uh that was a bit of a an easy kind of uh narrative voice to adopt. I think when I wrote the fic about Fleur, I think she's a lot more soft spoken and polite and she thinks a lot more about the words that she uses because obviously English is not her native language. And so I think that was something that I kind of tried to take into account uh, when I was writing that fic because I wanted her to sound, I wanted the narration to sound like someone who is very, very good at English, but who still it wasn't their first language and she would have to be very articulate and particular about the words that she chooses. I think a lot of people who learn any language as a second language, strangely enough, sometimes have more, have less fluency and more vocabulary than than native people because they will have learnt and spent so much time learning that they want to use all of their vocabulary. So I think that was something that I kind of thought about, at least for Fleur herself. But then Obviously, I think ultimately, even if you do take these things into consideration and you do take your character's vocabulary and personality into consideration into what you're writing, there's always going to be your particular voice as well. Like I think all of my fix sort of sound the same in a different way. They sound like they're written like me. I at least I think so. I think we always we all have a certain style and a certain way to write and I think that's always going to come out even if you adapt your style to your character and to your point of view character it's still going to be tainted by also the way you write the way you are as a writer yeah I I agree that there's a personal voice that you as a writer have and it comes out not only in your syntax and your grammar but also in your sense of humor in the things that you notice in the things that you neglect to notice because maybe it doesn't interest you in real life, in the themes that you repeatedly and obsessively address. And that's sort of inescapable. That's just who you are as a person. And if you want to get out of that, you have to collaborate with somebody else who can bring another another voice to your writing. But certainly for me, I do try to be a little bit of a chameleon and, and change my voice to the extent that I can based on what I'm writing. I mean, I've, I've certainly had to play with different dialects of English around the world where I've, I've written in like 1960s American soldier vernacular. I've had to write in like an English dialect. I've, I've written in sort of a more formalized, non-literal dialect that is meant to sound like an English translation of how, you know, 12th century BC ancient Greeks might have sound. So like, you know, and, and I mean, that's of course not going to be a literal interpretation of like the actual vocabulary they would have used. So I've had to like change my voice a little bit, but I, but there's still like an essential meanness to my stories. Yeah. 
I was wondering, what do you think about personal style? And do you think that if you posted a fic of yours under a different suit, for instance, do you think that it would still be recognizable to people as something that you wrote? Like, how do you think... How do you think about that? Do you think, you know, the, the writing style versus the POV and the story itself, do you think it's still recognizable? I mean, I think only if that person was familiar with my other work. Like, I'm not... <laughs> Obviously. I'm not famous or anything, but I, I think of somebody who had read my usual work and, you know, maybe enjoyed it enough to read it maybe a second time or to read a few of my works. If they came across work that I wrote under a pseudonym, they might be like, oh, this reminds me of so-and-so's work. So yeah, I think I think they would say it reminds them. I mean, I don't think they would come right out and be like, are you this person pretending to be a different person? But I, I think they would say, this reminds me of the style of so-and-so. Um, and certainly people have not been shy in comparing my work to whatever other writers that they've read. Sometimes I agree with them that my work is similar. And sometimes I'm a little bit like, no, it's not. <laughs> um no, but it's interesting. It's interesting because the reason why I'm asking is that I had a friend of mine in um, The Good Wife who did that once. She basically like posted a story because she was kind of, I don't want to say famous because no one was famous on The Good Wife fandom. It was so tiny, but like she had a lot of readers and a lot of attention and she kind of tested it out. So there's one thing that she posted on a different sued to see if anybody would like pick up on it and no one did and I'm just and it was it, it would have been I think people would have noticed had they known but if you don't know I think actually it's quite hard to tell you, you can tell yet yeah, sounds like someone but I think I think it's actually quite hard to recognize um I don't know like that's maybe that was it was kind of it's you know it is anecdotal and evidence but that is something that I know happened and and no one like literally no one noticed I mean I think it also depends some people have a more distinctive and idiosyncratic communication Mm -hmm. style than others and or like more highly specific interests so like if fluorescent gray wrote something under a pseudonym and I somehow managed to come across it I would be like this this sounds like suspiciously like the same person because she has like such a distinctive way of writing mm. and set of interests that I just don't think I could read something else by her and not be like, this sure sounds like this person. But other writers have kind of a, a more common tone. So maybe not everyone, but I mean, I do think with my work, certainly when I read it, I'm like, wow, I really... I'm, I sound the same and I have to try to sound different. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm the same. I'm the same. And it was very interesting to see. That's why I was mentioning it because it was really interesting to see that actually no one picked up on it. Because I think, I mean, to be honest, I think she had a very distinctive style as well. And she had a, she had specific themes that she really liked to write about. And a lot of her work was about the same thing, basically, which is not a criticism. Like, my work is always about the same thing. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Margaret Atwood's work is often about the same thing. So, yeah, like, I'm not, I'm not dissing that or anything. But, but I think a lot of people, um, you would think, you would think, it would be recognizable and actually unless people have it really shoved in front of their eyes and being like this is the same author i think most people don't actually recognize it so i wanted to ask a little bit about unreliable narrators because people always want to talk about that when it comes to pov which narrators are unreliable how unreliable do they have to be to be unreliable and what do, what do we do with these guys yeah um that's a very interesting question i don't think 
I have ever written a reliable narrator, so I don't really know how people do that. Um, because, so to me, an unreliable narrator is if you're writing from someone's limited perspective, you know, so say I'm writing a thick a book from, I don't know, Harry Potter's perspective, for instance, he is a person and therefore that person that he is, is going to inform the way that he views the world the way that he views the actions of the fic itself, the way that he views other people as well, the way other people interact and stuff. So I think it's really, for me, it's really hard to comprehend how that singularity of a person could not potentially make the narration at least a little bit unreliable. Because I think, you know, I think we've all experienced this where an event happened and two people have a completely different, two people who are both there have a completely different version of events, version of the conversation, version. And I think that's just the way we experience the world as humans. We see the world through a particular lens of who we are, what's important to us, what the people in our lives are and things like that. And so I think it's, I actually struggle to write from a reliable perspective because we are all unreliable narrators of our own lives. Do you know what I mean? So I think that that's kind of, that's kind of how I see it. And that's, that is the way. And I think that's also the way I like to write fiction because I think that's what makes fiction interesting is that unreliable perspective because that unreliable perspective also allows you to create a bit of mystery and a bit of you, you know you, you're able to engage your reader in terms of oh is this true or not and how true is this and how how much how much of this event actually happened and how did it happen and so I think for me that's definitely the most interesting perspective to to take I wouldn't really know how to write a story that was told from a quote unquote reliable perspective because who the who on earth is reliable? Do you know what I mean? And not me. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of my perspective on it. What about you? Not either of us who texted this morning to both ask to postpone the meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I totally agree that there are certainly very unreliable narrators and like exceptionally unreliable narrators, but I don't think there's any reliable narrators. Least of all, you know, if I'm writing in third person, then the narrative voice is arguably mine, the storyteller. That's not reliable either. You know, like I, I'm writing about stuff where, you know, maybe I've done some research, but it's necessarily incomplete and fragmented and there's more stuff that I don't know and I'm probably getting things wrong. So, you know, I'm not reliable either as the third person narrator. Like, we're all unreliable. Certainly first person narration is known for being unreliable and, and a character can even like openly lie to or mislead the reader. But I would say that, you know, third person can also be unreliable. And I think also when it comes to the skewed perceptions or dishonesty of the main character, that can be one of the most interesting things about the book. So I don't want to give away spoilers, but if anyone's read Life of Pi, it's been like over 20 years now. So I feel like you should have read it at this point. Yeah. But and if you haven't, like I haven't, but I'll, I'll accept the spoilers anyway. <laughs> um, well, I'm not going to give total spoilers, but let's just say at the end of the book, a different perspective on the events of the entire book is presented, which gives you a sudden realization that your narrator may not have been as honest as you thought he had been during the rest of the story. 
Um, I don't want to spoil it further than that because I really believe you should read the book. It's amazing. Um, and you know, mm -hmm. that's one of the most sort of breathtaking moments of the book is when you have this ulterior perspective on alternative perspective on what happened and you go like, Oh my God. Um, and an another example of an unreliable, or at least he's not dishonest. He just doesn't know what's going on. One of my favorite unreliable narrators would be the little boy who is the narrator of Room. He's by Emma Donahue. So he's a five-year-old boy and really at the center of a really, really horrible crime, which he doesn't understand because he's five and his mother has sheltered him from understanding what really happened. And so, you know, the way he perceives things like you as the reader understand that it's different than what he believes it to be because you're an adult reading this, hopefully. But, you know, if it wasn't told from his perspective, it would be a completely different story and not not as good of a story. So definitely, um, I, I do enjoy an unreliable narrator and an overly an overly reliable narrator is a bit, you know, it's like it's, it's work a day. I think one of the things that you might want to consider as well is why is your character unreliable? Because I think part of the questions that we, that part of the question that we have is like, how do you signal to your reader that your character is unreliable? And I think one of the things that you really want to think about is like, why are they unreliable? Are they purposefully, are they as a POV character hiding the truth from you or do they just not know the truth? Because that's another thing. For instance, in, for anyone who's read it in my Think About Seamus, The Fulton Foot Manufacturing, there's a whole lot of information that the POV character, who's Seamus Finnegan, does not know. Like, he just doesn't know. He could know because there's a lot of hints as to what is happening, but he, he doesn't know for a long, a really long part of the narrative. And the, the kind of reveal of that information is also the moment where he finds out that information. So he's unreliable, but he's not being untruthful. He's just unreliable because he doesn't know the truth. And so his own perspective is built on a lie. That's a very interesting question to think about in terms of signaling your reader that your character is unreliable, is thinking about why are they unreliable? Are they lying? In which case, you can definitely drop hints about the fact that they're lying. Like if someone else, for instance comes out with a wildly completely different version of an event and you're like, ooh, maybe they're lying. Um, or also, you know, they just don't know and you can you can drop hints to that as well. So I think it's that's one of the things that you want to think about is how how unreliable are they, but also why are they not reliable? Yeah, and I think also that this can be done for dramatic effect, but also for comedic effect. Sometimes mm -hmm. when you have like a main character who's like, why is it when other people do it, it's okay. But when I do it, it's not okay. But what they're not adding is the co social context that makes their behavior completely inappropriate and other people's behavior appropriate. So that that can definitely be a comedic thing. I wanted to ask you also about second person narration. So second person is you speaking about a story where you do things rather than I do things. How do you feel about that? Is it annoying? Is it great? What, what, what are we going to do with it? Personally, I know this is a controversial opinion. I love it. I absolutely love it. I think putting aside, aside the like reader inserts, because I feel like that's a fake you narration. It's not really what I understand to be a you narration. A you narration is, you know, you do this, but it's, it's a full blown character. It's not, it's not a reader insert. I feel like a re reader insert is a different thing, but. In terms of you as a narrative voice, I love it. I think it's 
underrated. I think if it's done well, it's hard to do, but when it is done well, mm-hmm. I absolutely love it. And it's funny, a lot of them, not all the time, but a lot of the time when I write original fiction, it comes in you, which never happens when I write fan fiction. But a lot of the times when I've written original fiction, it's come primarily in the form of a you narrator. And I can't explain it. I think it's, I, I, I don't know why, but it is a thing. And I genuinely, I really like it. I think, I think it's very immersive when it's done well. And it's very, it's, it's very gripping. And I really, I really, really enjoy it. Hey, so this is Joe from the future. Uh, I guess the fact that I edit these episodes gives me the opportunity to add things if I want to. I've been thinking about this a lot since we recorded this episode and why do I write a lot of I and you, especially you, when I write original fiction, which is not necessarily something that comes to me when I write fan fiction. And the conclusion that I've come to is that When I write original fiction, obviously, I don't know the characters as well. You know, I don't know them intimately the way that I would if they were built by someone else. You know, when I'm writing you, I it's as though I'm telling them stuff. Like, I'm telling them, you're like this, you do this, you do that. And and it helps me build the character. I need that to be more immersive into the character that I'm exploring versus when I'm writing fan fiction where I know the character better and so I don't necessarily need that as much. But anyway, back to the episode. I feel mixed feelings about it because uh, one thing we have to realize is that like in fiction, a second person narration is very rare, but in music lyrics, second person is like incredibly common. I mean, it's often mixed first and second person so that there will be an I and there will be a you because a lot of songs obviously are love songs and they're addressing the other person. But when you think about how it's so unremarkable in music when there's a second person that you don't even think about it and yet in fiction, you immediately notice it. And so I'm I'm thinking it has something to do with the emotionality where with music, we expect it to be very emotional. Mm-hmm. But with fiction, maybe we're not expecting that level of emotional immersion right away. I guess with the you in music, it's like, I don't know. I mean, music is so overwhelmingly romance oriented compared to fiction, which has kind of a broader range of topics. I think the whole you thing it feels like it belongs a little bit more in the romance genre. I feel about it a little bit the way I feel about the present tense, which is like, if you're using it, there should be like a reason that you made that choice and not just like by default. Yeah, I'm not, I'm also not a fan of reader insert. I don't, I don't like to insert myself into stories. Like, um, (laughs) I don't want to be in the story. I don't need the drama. I'm like, you're falsely (laughs) accusing me of doing things that I didn't do. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I, again, it's like, why are you, why are you using this? I guess. No, I think, I think it's definitely a choice and it's definitely, to be honest, it's funny because it comes to me like this, but most of the time, when I was writing original fiction, I would change it eventually because I know it's kind of frowned upon and I know you're not supposed to do it. So the story comes to me as a you and then I'll change everything and, and put in a different perspective. But I don't know. I think it's, I think it's gripping and I think, I think it's underrated. And I think if it's done well, again, I think it's one of those things that maybe is harder to do. And therefore that's why a lot of people 
are a bit tense about it because they've written they've read a lot of a lot of times where it wasn't done well but i think when it's done well it's very very good and very immersive and and yeah obviously you need to have a reason for it but i think a reason can be just the love of the art and and just you know the love of of writing like this i think i think that's enough one question that I wanted to ask you is your thoughts on head hopping because I know that's really frowned upon on fanfiction. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people complaining about it all the time in a lot of in a lot of ways about like how oh head hopping is horrible whatever. And how do you define it and what how do you avoid it if if uh, you had to and and what are your thoughts about it? Um so head hopping is done in stories that are third person either omniscient or maybe limited but limited to more than one person and so what happens when not at the end of a chapter but like in the middle of a scene the perspective and thoughts will jump from one person to a different person you know without like a without like a whole line break section break or chapter break literally just in the middle of the scene it will happen um i want to point out this happens in like professionally published books as well um especially you know some writers are more prone to doing it than others done poorly it can be confusing and the other thing is that done poorly it can seem like rather than showing your characters reactions you're just telling and so it can be an issue of telling rather than showing which i'm sure we've discussed before you shouldn't need to say what all your characters are thinking some of it should be implicit you know, not not so direct. I think the main issue, of course, is when you head hop, but you don't clarify whose perspective you're in, and in a way, and so people are confused. Personally, I never do that. I would only switch perspectives at like a a section break. It has to be clear, like whose perspective you're speaking from, and I also feel that a section break is the natural point to change. That being said, like some of my favorite authors do it, like. I mentioned Mary Renat and her Alexander trilogy. Her second book in the trilogy is told from third person limited of one individual person and that's it. But the first book is told from a sort of third person omniscient with a lot of mid mid scene head hopping. It can be confusing and sometimes a scene a given scene will be told in only one person's perspective and sometimes it will be told in the perspective of multiple people at a time and all of their thoughts. So it she, you know, she does kind of break a lot of those rules. I would say with head hopping, can it be done? Yes. Should it be done? Save it for a, a section break. Mm-hmm. I think I don't do it either. But I think the urge to help to head hop for a lot of people, and I, I understand the urge is to kind of control what the reader knows about the perspective of everybody I think because obviously you know if you're telling the story from character A's perspective then everything that character B thinks or sees or or says or whatever will be examined through the lens of character A and a lot of authors feel the need to control both sides like they'll feel they'll feel like they're lacking something if they're not particular and very obvious about what each person is thinking and they they want to control everything they want to control what the reader knows and doesn't know about each character's perspective and i think a lot of getting out of that mindset and getting out of head hopping is making peace with the fact that sometimes you'll write something that character b does that is going to be interpreted by you 
in a certain way and by the reader in a certain way and by your character in a certain way. And those sometimes you just have to make peace with the fact that your reader is going to see what they want to see in your story. And you don't have to say everything. You don't have to control everything. You have to kind of let go of the control sometimes. And, and for the non-character perspective to remain a little bit of a mystery and maybe get things wrong and maybe there's problems in interpretations and communication and things like that and I think I think that's the urge that a lot of people have and it's just learning to kind of let go of that control there's countless things that I've written where people have commented and been like oh I interpreted what Hermione did in that scene in one way and that's not the way that I meant but you know you just have to you just have to go with it and I think as long as you're happy you know letting go of that control then that it gets much easier not to feel the urge to head up all the time because you can't control everything because in life you can't control everything either so yeah yeah I I completely agree with this idea of making peace with with um not having total control over your reader's interpretation of everything and also making peace with ambiguity and incomplete knowledge it's okay that your reader doesn't know every every opinion that every side character has that's okay let them wonder let them try and infer based on that character's behavior (laughs) if it's super important make their opinion that character's opinion known through their behavior through their dialogue through their body language but don't don't force it Because I think sometimes when I read something where there's a lot of head hopping because, you know, five people are having a conversation and the writer really wants me to know each of the five person's internal opinion, sometimes it feels a little bit like when the palace releases some press statement that's obviously meant to like damp down the discussion on on, on something. And and it's like they're trying to kill the conversation and tell you it's not like that. Don't think Mm -hmm. that way. And it really feels like they're trying to control the public discussion. And I'm like, you know, you don't control my opinion of what's going on here. Like, I control my opinion. Like, it almost feels a little bit like one of those, like, cagey Buckingham Palace statements where they're like, there is no trouble in Charles and Diana's marriage. Stop talking about it. (laughs) And you're like, you know, you don't control this conversation. Like, you control how these people act in public, and then we will interpret it as we wish. So, um, yeah, I think let there be ambiguity. Let people not understand everything. And let yourself not know everything either. I don't know how every one of my side characters is, is truly interpreting my main characters all the time. I don't, I don't know the whole life story of every kind of minor character. Yeah, 100%. I definitely agree. And I think you're going to show other people's in, in the story, you're going to show other people's perspectives through what they say, what they do. I think gestures and, actions are very important a character who's like biting their nails is nervous you know you can you can show nervousness in a million different ways you can show happiness in a million different ways and i think you you know those characters can have dialogue lines but they can also do things and and smile and cry and all these things that let you know let the reader know as well how they're feeling uh but Yes, of course, there's going to be a little bit of blurriness around it, but that's kind of life as well. You you in your head don't know what other people think. I think POV is very important in creating mystery, creating intrigue, creating a little bit of not knowing what is going on and a little bit of not knowing what other people are feeling and thinking. Like I think if you take a POV where everything is known, 
you're in a lot of ways killing the suspense. And I think also when you're head hopping, when you're going from one character to another, are you really adding anything to the narrative in doing that? Or are you just repeating the same things? I think a lot of the times when people do this, the the reason why it annoys the readers is not necessarily that they're confused. A lot of times it's also because you're just repeating the same thing. If you tell me a character, Sandra, was nervous, she was biting her nails, you're repeating the same information twice. And I think that's, if you're going to head hop or if you're going to do it, it's also very tricky not to repeat yourself all the time in terms of adding thought and thought and action. And I, and a lot of times it's actually not necessary. It's also interesting to see characters from the outside rather than from the inside. That's why people love outsider perspectives on main characters so much because they love to see how someone's behavior looks to somebody who didn't see what was going on in the inside of their head. So I would say embrace the outsider perspective. Embrace not knowing. Yeah. Hundred percent. Oh, here's here's one last thing. Um, how do you feel about this common fiction trope of a character peeking through a keyhole or eavesdropping to hear or witness a conversation or event that they really logically shouldn't have access to? How do you feel about that? The way that I feel about it is try to do it as little as possible but sometimes you have to sometimes it's necessary sometimes like i can think of a couple of stories for instance i know no one will have read this because it was very niche fandom but uh when i wrote listening for that android choir um which was a epic in the mi5 slash spooks spooks fandom there's a lot of times where so it's the point of view of a child and there's a lot of times where he's like eavesdropping on his parents and yes, those conversations, he shouldn't have heard them. And realistically, he wasn't going to learn them. And, but I needed him to witness, like there were a couple of conversations that I definitely needed to write and I needed him to witness it and witness them. And there was no other way that I could have done that. And I think, you know, if there's no other way that you can do it, just do it. But I think maybe try and acknowledge it if if you're the kind of writer who's able to do that and who's willing to do that because I know a lot, of pe- a lot of people don't like doing that what I do do is I acknowledge things that aren't likely to happen in narration I think in that fic I was like yeah he had a habit of listening in to, on people that is a habit that he has and so by saying that I'm kind of acknowledging the fact that yes, this is unlikely and this is a little bit of a tropey situation, but I need to write this, so we're going to write this anyway. So I think that is, you know, try to do it to keep it to a minimum, but at the same time, sometimes it you just need it to forward either your plot or your characterization. Yeah, I would say I tend to avoid it as well, like the plague. I avoid it because, again, it's it's not even a fan fiction thing. Like, it's a fiction thing. So many times oh, yeah. you're like, you know, sometimes it's like, I know that eye line is physically impossible. When you say somebody was looking through a door at, at that angle and they saw this, I'm like, there's no way they could have seen that from that <laughs> angle. Or there's no way that could have been loud enough. But yeah, tons of authors do this. And it's, it's obvious why. It's because they want the character to come across knowledge that really it doesn't make sense for them to have but they mm-hmm. want to show the character reacting to it or using it as a clue 
or um, having it instigate conflict that they know something they shouldn't know. So like, I get why people do it, but it always seems really contrived to me. That being said, sometimes it makes more sense than other times. So I would say there's like three main types of person where it kind of makes sense that they would eavesdrop or like look through a keyhole. The first type is children, because in real life, children do, you know, press their ear to the to the door and listen to their parents talking or, you know, hide under the table with a tablecloth and listen to the adults like like kids do do that in their own home. So I think it's like realistic when kids eavesdrop on adults, because that's a thing that actually does happen. The second thing is if somebody's actually like a detective, then part of their job is to like actually figure out ways to eavesdrop. So I feel yeah. like that makes sense and is not unrealistic. And the third, of course, is if they're a spy, again, yeah. then that's like a <laughs> realistic way of having somebody come across information that they shouldn't have. I guess, I guess the fourth potential way is like, somebody reading somebody else's diary. But again, that's the sort of thing that I think makes more sense when it's a kid and the person whose diary they came across mm -hmm. is somebody who like realistically they would have had access to like, like reading a brother or sister's diary. Like that's something realistically plenty of kids have done in real life. And it's not like, it's not that hard to get away with either. So in like a YA story, a kid reading brother, or sister's or cousin's diary, like, yeah, that's realistic. But you know, sometimes it's someone where it's mm -hmm. like, there's no way this full-grown, dignified yeah. adult person would have, like, knelt in front of... Firstly, like, modern doors don't even have keyholes. And, like, that eyeline, like, nobody would have that kind of 180-degree field of vision in that perspective. So, again, I would say <laughs> limit it unless you are telling the story from the perspective of somebody who, like, it totally makes logical sense that they would be spying on people or invading privacy. No, 100%. And I agree. Like, the only times that I've done this is with children. I guess that's not even something that I thought of. It was just something that happened. Like, it was the only time that I've ever done this was with children. Um, but, yeah, I agree. Children do do that in real life, so it's a little bit more plausible. Um... But sometimes, yeah, sometimes you have to, but just keep it to a minimum. And if you can, if you can acknowledge the unlikeliness of it within your story, I think that makes it more forgivable. If your character is a grown adult and they go, oh, I can't believe I was doing this. Like, this is so undignified within narration. It, some, sometimes that makes me more, like, forgive it a little bit more because at least the writer is acknowledging the fact that it's unlikely. And I think, I think you can get a lot away with a lot of things actually like that. A lot of cliche if you acknowledge them. Or you let them get caught doing it. So there's sometimes where it's like, I can see how you could eavesdrop like that, but there's no way you wouldn't get caught. So if you let the person get caught, that feels sort of fair. Yeah, 100%. And it's obviously like a huge trope in, how shall I put this, um, NC-17 rated content i feel like pe people aren't looking for it to be oh, really? people are looking for that to be realistic though so i feel like it's fine because like nobody cares if that's realistic you know it, it just yeah. it matters if it's a story where you're like trying to maintain some semblance of realism but yeah and certainly appropriate in spy stories detective stories and that sort of thing yeah definitely Okay, well, I think we're going to wrap up the episode. This was mm -hmm. a really interesting discussion. I was wondering, do you have any recommendations for us this week? Yeah, so right now I'm reading 
Troy by Stephen Fry, which is a retelling of the Iliad in a really complete way, which builds in some of the later developed mythology that would have dates back to later than Homer, but it sort of builds into the story. So it's like a very complete and rich and detailed retelling of the Iliad and very readable and even funny um, and with some helpful footnotes. So I would recommend that. Um, and of course, I am always going to recommend the Alexander Trilogy by Mary Renat. Great. Thank you so much. In terms of, so this is completely related to the discussion, but I think one one author who I really, really like, who does POV and actually alternate POV. So she does a lot of telling the same story from two different perspectives, but she does it incredibly well, is Erin Kelly. She writes mostly mystery novels and, you know, kind of like um, whodunits and crime novels and all that stuff. But she writes them, all of her novels are told from multiple perspectives. But a lot of times when that happens in mystery novels, I'm like, okay, why are you doing this? It just seems controlling. Again, going back to the controlling trope that we discussed earlier. But I feel like for her, it's a very significant choice. And the way she frames her books is very much dependent. The whole mystery of it is because she's telling it from different perspectives. And it's so, so clever. And my favorite book of hers, I will say, I will trigger warning this, trigger warn this a little bit because it does talk about sexual assault, although the perspective is removed. So basically it's the story of these two people. It's a couple and they both witness the event but again it's the story told from both of their perspectives and they've seen completely different things um and the book is called he said she said and it's such a great book first of all it's a great crime book it's a like page turner 100 percent. but also i think she does point of view so so well um so it would definitely if you're interested in exploring the topic of two different points of views and how you can actually milk that to to build a story and to to build mystery in the story i would definitely recommend uh, he said she said by aaron kelly or anything else if that kind of puts you off there she has other novels that talk about other things but they're all incredibly great oh i'd like to recommend one more read that is directly relates to head hopping david mitchell has this book called ghost written um it came out probably at least 20 years ago but it's a very unusual story and told from the perspective of kind of a a djinn, like D-J-I-N-N, like a sort of ghostly spirit who literally head hops from, you know, the body of and life of one person to another. So in some sense, it's oh, wow. third person. It's um, I think it's first person limited to only the perspective of this one spirit, but he becomes different people. So it's like, is it one perspective or not? Really interesting. And I always oh, wow. recommend David Mitchell. So that's ghost written. That's great. Uh, we'll link all of those in the show notes. Okay, Lani. Well, it was great to have you on. Where can we find you online? I remain at copper underscore dust um, on both AO3 and Tumblr. I think you can replace the underscore with a hyphen as well. Okay. Um, and I'm Pavly Send on Tumblr and AO3. And if you have any feedback for us or any topics that you'd like us to talk about, uh, you can find the podcast at thefanficwriterscraft.tumblr.com. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.